first time ever. Hear you loud and clearly. Um, and it was going place. That stuff's great. But the game is not a roguelike. Boomer shooter. <laughs> Bang. Hello, this is John St. John, and you're listening to KWP In The Keep, bringing you all the hits from the finest in the world of gaming and entertainment. Now sit back and relax as the drowned god Cathala lulls your mind with the tastiest talk in town. Welcome to another chapter of In The Keep Podcast. I'm your very own prophet of the drowned god, the Motherlode. The Keep is a collective of gaming enthusiasts compelled by the drowned god Cathala to frag and jib one another into oblivion for all eternity. Here we are again, Realms Deep in the Keep. We are joined yet again by Fred of 3D Realms. We've got Hattacant, my producer here, and we've got the legend himself, Mr. Tim Willits. Thank you for joining us, man. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. The interesting thing about this is that you were not one of the planned guests until I got told like last week, like, hey, uh, Ty, do you do you want to do Tim Willits? And I'm like, is that even a fucking question? Like that, of course. And who doesn't want to do Tim Willits, huh? Am I right? <laughs> no. Tim yeah, it's well, I'm, I, I'm, I hope I didn't ruin your plans by no. by like jumping in. No, it's, it's like who who invited that guy? This has been a really interesting uh, project because it's like. You know, it starts off with like, here's a list of people you're going to do. I'm like, cool. Yeah, I'll take that on. No problem. And then it's just snowballed from there. And, you know, we get this opportunity. Like we were talking to basically everybody that I've ever wanted to. Like I had plans for years to kind of knock you guys all off the list. And then now we're going to do it all in one session. So I have to like double up my game and become like a 10 times better podcaster for it. So it's a good thing. But... I know that you have uh, been asked, as I said earlier before we started, every question known to man in regards to all the games you worked on. So I kind of want to get a window into who you are and where you are now, just kind of as a person, because we only ever really get to hear about Tim Willits, the video game designer. Like, who's Tim Willits, the guy? You got a bunch of kids, dude. What's going on in your uh, normal <laughs> yeah, life? I'm, I'm, I'm much shorter in person than I am on the internet. That's, that's, that, that's always my joke when, um, when, when people meet me. You know, I'm always like, yeah, I'm much shorter in person. I'm joking. But, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, we can we can talk about anything. So, first of all, like, what's going on day to day right now? It's a crazy time in the human history. And you're the let, – let me make sure I get your, your business title right here. The chief creative, creative officer. Creative officer. Okay, so what does yes, a creative yes, officer yes. do? What does a chief creative officer do? Man, everything. So, um, uh, we've been so busy. It's crazy. So uh, – uh, so last year, you know, after 20,000 years, I, I left uh, in software um, and, uh, you know, joined Sabre Interactive. Uh, so I worked with the team at Sabre on Quake Champions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I really and, and it was just at the time it was just two guys that that owned the company. And, um, you know, now Sabre has been purchased by Embracer. So we're a much bigger company, which is exciting. But um, uh, but I loved what Saber did with all their games. You know, Saber works in everything from first-person shooters to sports games to truck simulation games to you know ports like uh, you know The Witcher Three on the Switch. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so um, uh, it was really exciting to get a chance to work on so many different titles. So basically what I do is I kind of have the 50,000 foot view on kind of this creative strategy of the company and, uh, you know, making sure that, you know, the teams are thinking about the things they need to think about, you know, working with the, the partners on uh, whatever publisher that we're working on, working with their own publishing team, uh, everything from game design to marketing to business to, you know, future uh, potential you know, ideas with other companies. So, um, so I do a little bit of everything, uh, which is definitely exciting. Um, and before the end of the world happened, I, I was traveling all over the place because Saber has offices in Russia mm -hmm. and uh, and uh, uh, Spain and Portugal and Belarus and Sweden. So, uh, so I before I was stuck at home, I would say I have the best job in the world. I get to travel to exotic places and make video games. This is awesome. Um, now I travel by Zoom to exotic places and and make video games. So hopefully, hopefully Europe will open up again and I can uh, I can get back to visiting the the teams. But you know, technology and working remotely because I've I've worked with teams around the world for years, worked with Avalanche and, and, uh, you know, Saber, you know, worked with machine games, our other, uh, Bethesda studios hack in software had, has a, uh, office in uh, Frankfurt, Germany. And, uh, so I was, I've gotten very comfortable working remotely, you know, uh, cause it is a little bit different, but technology has got to the point where we can really do anything, uh, remotely and, and work together. Um, you know, via the uh, the software and, and, and the technology, um, so it is a little bit different, but uh, but it's basically the same. I know that was a very long answer to what are you doing today, um, but uh, but it's a little everything. It makes for actual better clip content for the festival to just have you go on for as long as you want because it's less cuts. Hadikant gets to just like yeah. phone it in that day. You guys are trading messages. This guy won't stop talking. Send. No, <laughs> No, it's usually them sending the message to me telling me to show up. So. It's really fun to uh, get to see you kind of work on projects other than what you're kind of famous for. We've known you all this time as like the first-person shooter guy, and that's been, mm -hmm. you know, for 25 years, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere along yeah, the Yeah, like 95 to, yeah. yeah. Since I was born. And now you get to like oversee these projects that are wide arrays in video games. So like when you look down the barrel of something like, I don't know, WWE Battlegrounds, what, what kind of challenges, or maybe not even challenges, but what fun is it to kind of like look at something that's totally different than what you're kind of used to, and apply your creative process to that sort of a game? Yes. Um, so looking at at everything from you know Snowrunner to WWE, um, there are lessons from what we did at it mm -hmm. for so long that do apply to really anything. You know, our games in the past was very fast, very precise. You know, you had to educate players immediately uh, about exactly what was going on. Feedback is, is critical in fast-paced arena games. So a lot of those lessons um, you can apply to these other games as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like, uh, like for instance, um, if, if you've worked with me, you've, you've heard me use this joke before. Um, you know, the worst part about animators is, is they like to animate. And uh, a lot of times um, animators will make these really long, exaggerated animations 
Um, and in our games, I did everything had to be fast, quick. So I was always like less animations, you know, faster, snappier. Yeah. Uh, and that applies to other games as well. You know, get to the point as quick as possible. You know, gamers want to be engaged uh, in the experience. So I think, um, you know, I think those lessons that were so critical to first person shooters can be applied to other games. I mean, even the game, even the gamification of how we reward people, uh, you can see has gone across to too many different platforms. And, um, you know, sometimes a good idea in one genre can be just as good in another genre. It just needs someone to pick up the, that, that idea and carry it over. So hopefully at Sabre, I can pick up ideas from one genre and carry them over to other genres. Now, is Sabre still involved in Quake Champions at this point? Are you actively working on it or is it just... Uh, yes, yes. So, the, uh, uh, so, so that's, that's, that's Bethesda. Okay. You know, uh, that's all, all, all Bethesda. You know, once I wrap things up there, um, then it was, it was easy for me to move over to Sabre. So, so if you want to know about the future of Quake Champions, oh, no, you no, know, no. Ask, ask Bethesda. <laughs> we'll see what happens with it. But uh, Quake Champions specifically brought a whole lot of us. Uh, Hadakant and I are perfect examples of people who, you know, played Quake uh, probably in high school or something like that. And then when Quake Champions came out, it kind of, brought us into the fold of hey arena shooters this is still an exciting thing uh i literally started this podcast because directly because of quake champions and, oh, that's cool yeah that's and, cool. and then have it's funny it's, you say that though because i didn't start playing i played quake champions first before i played quake one uh, that's insane i yeah. didn't play oh, quake God. one until last april first time the, the youth nowadays but i've also put more times into like map editors for that game than mm. i have actually played the it is interesting, though, that though you know that game has been received, however people can interpret whatever they want from that, but it's been received the way it has, and yet there's such a tidal wave uh, in the arena shooter community that started explicitly because of that game. Uh, people got into Quake Champions and they started discovering all the older games, like you know, Quake, all the Quake, the whole entire genre. Uh, Xenotic got really got a wave behind it for a little bit then we got uh war fork which was like a fork of you remember war cell mm -hmm. and it's really interesting it's still a super small tight community but i very much enjoy the fact that you guys uh took that risk and made it happen for us because without that we wouldn't be here right now i would not be sitting well, here doing yes. well, th well thank you thank you yes yeah, so arena shooters in 2020 nowadays yeah um they are pretty tough and, and they are pretty hardcore. Um, you know, this, this guy that I worked with kind of, you know, summed up, you know, what, you know, how a game like Quake is viewed. Like, for instance, those of us that live in the Quake world, it's like living in a mansion. We love it. I mean, it's like you've got chandeliers and gold staircases, and it's the most beautiful mansion in the world that we live in, okay? But the people who don't live in the mansion, mansion outside, look at it like a crack house. Yeah, you know, because it's like terrifying. It's so fast. It's so intense. And you know, if you just if your skills off a little bit, you will get destroyed. Um, and uh, which is thrilling and exciting. Um, and watching a an arena shooter competitively is the most exciting game to watch, in my opinion. Um, but for people that have not grown up in arena shooters or, you know, don't really have that dexterity. It's also terrifying. Um, so, um, um, you know, and, and I think, 
you know, some of the um, um, some of the challenges as the industry moves forward with hardcore competitive titles is how we can bring, you know, more players into it um, and, and have them be less scared. Um, so that's definitely a, uh, a challenge. And, and it's not just arena shooters. It's, you know, some games are becoming more and more hardcore. And as developers, we need to find ways to to help people into our uh, indoor games. Right. Do, do you think the barrier of entry is is one of the main main challenges that that arena shooters are, are facing? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, like I, like my kids. You know, I have three kids that are sixteen, and um, you know, I I sat down with my son, and um, uh, you know, I said, "This this is Quake, you know, and this is how we play," and. Um, you know, just watching them just get shot from a different direction and, and just the, you know, the frustration of the speed, um, you know, it's definitely, it's definitely difficult. So yes, I do really think the barrier of entry is kind of the biggest hurdle that these types of games need to uh, need, need to get over. Cause once you get over that and yeah. once you, once you're in it, you love it. I mean, you love it. Uh, but it's just uh, getting you, getting you to that place is a challenge. Well, I'd love to hear your opinion just in general about like the main competitors and, you know, you're talking League of Legends, Counter-Strike, Overwatch. To, to me, the, you know, we're, we're you know, not uh, the two of us, uh, but, you know, we're not the same generation, but, but I, I was a, you know, a young teenager when, when, uh, when Quake came out and looking at League of Legends and Overwatch and so on today, for me, I don't have any idea what's going on. It's just here's here's fireworks and colors everywhere, and and watching that being played as an esport as well. I don't know what's happening, and I don't think I would I would have to invest too much time to learn. But a game like Quake Champions, I get it. Like, oh, here's a gun, run around, and if you get killed, you kill, and if you kill someone, you win. So, um, so I have a theory about all that, you know, and and you guys can tell me if I'm if I'm right or wrong. Because I, I agree with you. When I look at uh, MOBA style games like League, of Le- like League of Legends, it's so confusing. It's just like, oh my god! I don't, just give me a railgun and let me go. Yeah. Um, you know, but millions of people follow this, and um, you know, and, and and I know that there's a there's a dexterity component to those games, and the esport athletes that play those are true athletes. But you know the. Uh, uh, the physical skill kind of dexterity of playing a quake game is kind of like, you know, watching stars play basketball. So, and, 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 and I think when you watch something like league, league, like league of legends, you can see it as a mental game. Mm -hmm. And that most people believe that if they dedicate enough time and energy, they can mentally figure it out and they can mentally. So, so they can know that it is doable. Okay. But when I watch, you know, like Michael Jordan dump a basketball from the free throw line. I know that I will never be able to do that. Yeah. And when I watch, you know, uh, uh, a, a pro quake player do the shots and perform the actions that they're performing, I view it as a physical dexterity skill that I personally can never do. But I feel when I look at the other games that it's more of a mental exercise. So I feel that that arena shooters are even more intimidating because there's almost this physical barrier to, to, to the, to, to the challenge. Whereas some of those other games, which there, which, which I understand that there's a physical challenge as well, but it doesn't seem the same. 
Does that make sense? Am I, am I making sense? I'll tell you from experience, Absolutely. having talked to you know people of my generation when they first see Quake, right? Because they're aware that it exists. All of them know that Quake is a thing. But they literally, as you said, they actually look at it and say, that's not even perceivable. Like, I, I could never conceive of possibly mm. doing that. It's almost a superhuman type thing. When you see Rafa yes. play Quake, you know, when you see someone like Saigib, the way he moves around a map and the, the fast twitch uh, muscle movement, mm-hmm. though, and you're, you don't see this in Counter-Strike, someone falling off a three-story building and like swinging around 180, one hitting somebody with a rail, popping out a rocket gun and start spamming the other team members. Like mm-hmm. That is so much action in such a small amount of time that most people that are not, you know, that are not privy to their brain isn't used to functioning at that pace. It's just not something that they could really see themselves doing. When you watch someone play Counter-Strike, it's so grounded in realism that, yeah, I could see myself see? doing that in real life. I've yeah. played paintball before, of course. So I think that's where it comes from. Yep, yep, yep. So I think that, I, so I think that makes it more difficult. And yes. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you agree. And, and again, I'm not trying to say that those games are easier to play. I'm just saying that there is a slight difference. Do you think there's a, there's a fix for this? Because as, as I see it, you know, the generation that grew up in Quake grew up in Quake because there's nothing else like it. So you have millions of people all around the world playing Quake. And and it was the same with all of the genre-defining games. You know, Red Alert came out at the same time. Everyone played Red Alert. Everyone played Quake and so on. Now it's different. So do you see, do you see any way to fix this? Because I know Quake Champions tried to do it in some way. With, with I know. Trust me, we tried to add the, the abilities and slow it down a little bit. And, and we tried to give people something to do. That wasn't, you know, just running gun with, with, you know, and and then our hardcore play people were like, oh, I hate abilities. But then once they played it, they're like, okay, I get it. Um, you know, uh, some people can say that we may not have gone far enough, but then we also did not want to alienate our hardcore right. Quake fans as well. See, that's that's the thing. It, it's it's got to be hard to to do i remember when counter-strike go came out and and, you know 1.6 was what everyone was playing and no one wanted to play counter-strike go and then was it valve that made it kind of mandatory i remember that forced everyone kind of to go with counter-strike go and now it's the only thing yeah yeah you're you're right it's it's tough so i have a question for you guys yeah what if we just what if we had called it something different um what if we just i think you know the quality you know it, but it comes down to me whenever I try to show a game like this to any of like my classmates in college or whatever, because like I'm in a computer program, so like we're rebuilding gaming PCs and we'll have to test out the hardware. So I throw on Quake, you know, just for the heck of it. And most of the time they're like, "What is this? And why? Why? Like, why is it? In, why is there leveling systems? Is there like a skill tree? It's like no, you just shoot stuff and you have fun. You rocket jump around the map, break it a little bit, have some fun, shoot monsters. Oh." And like, what about the multiplayer? Like, oh yeah, you check this out. You can do all sorts of three sixties, like Ty was saying earlier. Yeah. And then they're like, wow, that just seems like too much. <laughs> and I'm just like, Are yeah, you you're talking about like having like expansive skill trees and all this other yeah. stuff, but you can't handle a little bit of physicality. But that's again, you come back to to you know, a game that that's a strategic mind game compared to you know a fast paced skill based game. Because because I I do think that if you took if you took Quake Champions, um renamed it you're not going to get the old school quake crowd in there unless they knew oh this is in secrecy a quake game but again the old school quake crowd is so small mm-hmm. um so the big question i think is whether or not a game like quake champions actually benefits from this small crowd because again if you named it something else mm-hmm. you probably wouldn't have had as many hardcore 
players join in first. But when they realize that this is Quake in disguise, they would still come in and kind of dominate. I think that's kind of the main thing. That everyone else who gets into Trike gets dominated. And you can't really, you know, you need you need everyone to be on a level playing field when they start with the game, which is what they did with Overwatch. You know, if you're a hardcore Quake player, you're not going to be especially good at Overwatch. If you're a hardcore Counter-Strike player, you're also not going to be especially good at Overwatch. You have to learn to play Overwatch. So maybe it was just too similar to, I don't know. I, yeah, I mean, yeah, then you have to do something else. But man, the skill, the the, yeah. the skill differential between players, man, once once it starts to skew a little bit, man, your fun factor drops when you get your ass kicked. I think um, we could spend forever unpacking the challenges yeah. that Quake Champions faced, but if I were to try to boil it down, uh, with, I'll ignore all the you know obvious things like you know more people need to play it so that you can have more people in a lobby and all that kind of thing. There was a, you know, people were really used to a certain way of playing that they didn't get. But if I'm going to boil it down to why didn't it capture a lot of the original you know like OG Quake people? I don't think it's the champions necessarily. A lot of them will say things like the problem with Quake Champions is the fact that it's got champions, but that's not. I don't even buy that. I think it really just comes down to. It is a game that primarily focuses on duel, and it also has quite a good TDM. In fact, 2v2 is quite good as well for mm-hmm. until they discontinued it being ranked. And then they, when they brought it back, it was kind of too late. But with the way that people you know, enjoyed Quake, they, they kind of set yourself up when you have these champions with these abilities. Specifically, not even just like the powers that they possess. Like That's fine if you want to spit on somebody or shoot flames. That's just another weapon in your tool belt. The way I see it is that the movement differences. So, like, when you have some characters that move, like, on a CPMA-style movement, you have uh, characters that, you know, do the Quake 4 skating-style movement, and you have some characters that just do good old VQ3-style movement. When you play team games, especially something like Capture the Flag, which is, like, huge to people, or Clan Arena, Rocket Arena, whatever, you know, you start to end up with some characters that just simply can't compete. And so you put yourself in an endless loop of trying to balance the characters. And I think that's a problem. It, it's not just a Quake Champions thing. Like All of the games, even Overwatch, struggle with this, where you have to constantly keep, you know, some players play just the meta characters and some players want to stick to what they know. Uh, you have Quake 3 player like uh, like me. Like I, I came from Quake 3, so I was like, yeah, I want to play Ranger. You know, that makes obvious sense to me. Uh, other players are like, yeah, I came from you know CPMA, so I want to play a Sorlag all the fucking time. And you cannot compete with Sorlag um, as a as a VQ3 style movement player in something like Capture the Flag. Uh, so that mode fucking failed. I, I don't mean to like be harsh about it, but it did. It was like terrible. And no one. But wanted- I think Ty, it, it did in terms of players like you. Actually, get the, that movement to work. I mean, the amount of mental effort yeah. that went into getting that to feel right. And for duel, it works. For duel, it's fucking fantastic, man. It's just that when you have objectives and you have to like race with somebody, like if you were to if you were to implement defrag into Quake Champions, and you had someone going to play as Ranger and someone's going to play as Sorlag, no contest. It's not even. It's it's just physically not possible given the circumstances that we've given ourselves. So. I just I think that's fundamentally why people can't get into it because if they're not a dueler, there's no other competitive route for them to go. Well, I think that that kind of goes back to you know you're speaking on behalf of the core players, you know the, the hardcore yeah. players, yeah. which which would be such a such a small part of demographic that I, would I agree. that would have to play a game like this. So if you cut all of those away, you know all these people who who has the basic or the core skill set that, that you do when you get into a game like this, mm-hmm. the community you re- represent, you're, again, 
talking about such a small subset of the players required to make a game like this successful. And it's everyone else you have to cater for. Like all these little details about, you know, slight, slight details and movement and so on. People who come in the first time and play a game like this don't care about that. They, they just care about having fun and having a hook that can keep them coming back. All right, Dad. Um, Fred, Dad. <laughs> who teaches their kids about boomer shooters? Like, who is it not? It's you that's telling your son to play it. It's not like this is, a, this is already a niche genre. So if you want it to spread, you have to have it spread by word of mouth. It's not spreading by, like, huge esports budgets, uh, unfortunately, anymore. So you got to have that core audience who are already Quake fans to show their fans, like, to yeah. show their friends and their families, like, this is what's awesome. And and oh, not dominate them when you play together yeah. with yeah. this curse. Don't, don't call them boomer shooters. What's that? Don't call them boomer don't shooters? Don't call them boomer shooters. Dave Osher is going to get so mad if we... We're not the boomer. We're uh, we're we're uh, we're Generation X, aren't aren't we? Call them X yeah, shooters. Yeah, you guys are Generation yeah. Extreme. Everything was extreme yeah. for you guys. Um, yeah, an X shooter. Well, I was born in yeah, Alabama, so I'm automatically ten years. But whatever generation I was born in, ten years behind. Yeah. We, but uh, back back to you, Tim. Because we kind of got yeah, actually, but, but you have my Quake chair though, which I, is awesome. I what? do like that. Oh, that's cool. I do like oh, that yeah. a lot. But uh, I am I curious that. to know, like, what. When you look at uh, any competitive game, you got all kind of shit going on right now. But what what do you see that you can bring from the franchises that you worked on specifically to some of the projects that you're working on now? Uh, it's really interesting seeing you guys. I, I think you did a. Did you work on the Halo project at all? No, not not really. I mean, the um, uh, just just because it's such a simple. Not simple. Hold on, it's it's not simple to do, but the plan is straightforward. Okay, because a saber we work on. You know, the, like for instance, the uh, you know the the uh, Witcher port to Switch um, the, did not need design guidance. It just needed you know super intelligent dudes that knew how to work at Switch. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so uh, um, so some of the things I I, I, I try to stay away from, right. you know, because I'll just cause trouble. Uh, but some of the new titles, and and we have a couple of titles that we haven't announced yet. That you know, one's a brand new IP. That's that's. Um, that's pretty cool, you know, uh, first-person shooter game. You know, kind of back to what I was saying before, you know, making sure the, that, you know, you focus on the core elements of a game. Right. You know, lots of game designers throw the kitchen sink at a game. Figure out why it's fun, work on that first, and then layer on top of that. You know, make sure that you keep the, you know, the spirit of, of the game. Like, if you're making a remake or you're trying to have a game that's inspired by another game, Capture that spirit, capture that soul, focus on that. Um, you know, a lot of times getting scope down is part of a designer's job. Mm-hmm. You know, many people think designers just add stuff to a game, but sometimes removing things is just as effective, probably more effective. Uh, Wasn't it George Broussard so, who said cutting is shipping? I remember that quote from back 2009 from George Broussard. Oh, good, uh, good, good old Duke Forever days yeah. when, he, uh, when he tweeted cutting is shipping. Cutting sometimes is shipping, and and cutting sometimes makes it better. You know, um, I mean, just today, just today, I had a conversation with one of the team leads, um, and uh, he added some stuff to the game, and I was like, "Why are you adding this to the game when we haven't got? You know, we're still working on the core." Um, so, um, uh, so it's just experience, you know, uh, knowing like I can because I've been working on this so long, I can see a problem in the grass before it jumps up and bites you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, um, you know, just, you know, just having that experience of making mistakes in the past and trying not to make those same mistakes again. 
that that's also the most valuable you know experience any game designer can have. You know, mo- most successful game designers who've had many successful releases in over decades of time often don't know what to do, what not to do. Right. Um, but those who've had both ups and downs, they they have the broad spectrum of knowledge. They know what not to do, which is much more important of knowing what to do. Because if you know what not to do, you have a lesser chance of failure. Generally, yeah. you can focus yes. on making yes. a great work. Failure makes you way more smarter. And, and remember that every great game designer, nine out of their 10 ideas are really bad. Um, so you just need to keep coming up with ideas because you're going to hit on one that's going to work. So you mentioned the word like determining what makes it fun. Uh, to you, what makes a game fun? Like, what are the fundamental factors that you look for as a creative director? That is a good question. Um, you know, something that has a tight game loop where I'm constantly challenged and rewarded, and then um, surprised by what's coming next. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Uh, Having something that propels me to move forward, you know, why do I want to play this game? You know, is it because I want to do better, or is there a little carrot there? Um, so that's that's really important. Uh, and, and I know that these are classic things that every game designer says, uh, but most a lot of games just forget about this. You know, the simple loop that you know, shoot, reload, move, have fun. Um, you know, or find, collect reward yourself, move on, you know, do, do something, pick up a piece of candy, do something, pick up a piece of candy. Um, and, um, and then if there's some type of emotional tie to games, mm-hmm. um, you know, I always find that to be exciting as well. You know, the emotion obviously in a game like, like Quake is, is just the, the fear of, of, of someone getting a drop on you, but adventure games that, you know, there's story and there's emotion in what you do and there's an emotion in, in the reactions that the world has to you. Uh, so for me, you know, what makes game fun is, you know, second to second enjoyment, a tight, a tight game loop, and then some emotional pull. Mm-hmm. Tim, you came into the industry specifically by m- making your own maps, right? Mm-hmm. And then you get to work on, you know, the, the ultimate doom and everything. I don't want to like get into like the history of like, oh yeah, you entered it software and stuff necessarily because you told it a million times. But what made you want to like make maps and like what? How did you see the craft of that at that time? Yeah. So, uh, um, so when so my older brother, because I'm I'm 48 mm-hmm. and my and my brother is six years older than me. Um, and so when I was a kid, he was playing Dungeons and Dragons with his friends. Right. And, uh, um, and I love the fact of, you, you know, you get the modules, which were like DLC at the time. And, um, you know, you would have, you know, campaign and you'd unfold the paper and you'd have, you'd, these are all top down drawings, right. you have top down drawing, a little town and then a little dungeon, you know, and it's all in grid paper. Um, and, and, you know, I was fascinated by, by drawing paper dungeons and dragons maps and little towns and things, even though I never really played a lot of the game. Uh, so when, you know, the first Doom came out, because I never played Wolfenstein 3D, because I didn't have a computer that could play it, right. um, um, which is kind of embarrassing to say <laughs> that everyone really played Wolfenstein 3D until I worked at it. Um, but what was so fascinating about the game is that you could, I could do kind of that Dungeons and Dragons map design mm-hmm. 
you know, in, in, a, in, in a real world. And I distinctly remember thinking there is an infinite amount of things that I can build in this world. So building um, maps was truly amazing. The fact that you could build something, you could walk through it. Uh, for me is, 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 is awesome. And I know it sounds silly, uh, but, um, uh, but it was, yeah, it was really came down to, to, to building those maps, um, and then moving in this world and feeling like I could literally create anything I could imagine. Like if I was, um, if I was a kid when Minecraft came out, I would totally be one of those guys making these giant Minecraft worlds that, that, that you see. Um, and, uh, uh, so that's why having, tools, having games like Minecraft, where that allows young people to build these worlds. Um, I know that there will be some amazing game designers that will that will come out of that as well. So that's so, kind of how I got started doing that stuff too with map making was making stuff in Minecraft in creative mode, building whatever I wanted. Uh, but actually before that it was Google SketchUp learning how to model things in 3D and like mm-hmm. trying to like draw maps from like other games or whatever even if it wasn't accurate to any degree just just trying it out and seeing going from there but uh, but yeah that idea of you know creating a world possibly living in it or having an idea for that world and be able to actually bring it to life I'm like oh man I want to build a giant pit that opens up in the middle of like a boss fight or something like that you can do that why not or heck if you want like a giant pillar to fly through it too why not like the, yes. but, yeah and it was so exciting that um and, and back then there was CompuServe uh, which is a BBS um, and uh, uh, software creations. So uh, because I was the poor kid, I, I had a software creations subscription because I couldn't afford a copy service. Um, and uh, uploading the maps and then having, ha- having there's like a little form page and having people say, hey, this is a really good map was huge motivation for me to have someone else play something that I, that, that I built and then text back or write back that was that it was awesome. Oh yeah, it's one of the, it's one of the more satisfying feelings, definitely when creating a map. But it kind of stinks when you create something like, oh, I love this, and everybody's like, yo, this kind of stinks. Like, oh, so, I, so, so, so what's your I, like? Okay. I have a dirty secret that 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 I'm going to tell the world. So when I made maps for you know the uh, Doom Two Masters Edition as a contractor, uh, id Software paid almost three times more. Then we were paying guys to make quite quake live masks, uh, quake live maps years, like, you know, 15 years later. So, <laughs> yeah, so I, was, uh, I, I, I remember telling, uh, telling Adam Pyle, I was like, man, this is embarrassing. I got paid more back in 1994 to make this map than we're paying. But you, you guys were you know, rare breed. Like those who made maps during your time, yeah. you can almost kind of, you know, group them all together and, and you know, Various degrees of age, of course. You have yeah. guys like Richard Gray, who is like almost 20 years older than you. And then you have guys like you and you have Cliff Basinski over on the epic side mm-hmm. of things. And you know, all these great mappers that was kind of the, the first generation of, like the first generation of BSP, at least, you know, true 3D right. mappers. Um, and the accessibility was back then much, much, um, like the level was much, much, much higher than it is today. Like today, again, you can know Minecraft and then, you know, my daughter can make something in that. And also with tools like trench brewing, much of the guys or many of the guys we have working for us at Slipgate, they come from the trench broom crowd. They never actually made maps in any professional tool uh, or even back in the day for that, for that matter. Um, they only made something in trench broom for Quake because trench broom is super fast and easy and, so and they easy. can, exactly. 
Um, Actually, quick so, question. Uh, how long would it usually take you guys to compile, like, even ooh, something like a, one of the starter really maps? Because, like, because coming from somebody who uses trench broom where you just you go and you have all your blocks there, you have all the textures you need, you throw in it. It's, 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 it's fire and forget with that. As long as you don't have any leaks, of course. And that's a whole other so, uh, thing. Uh, but, but what it comes down to is, like, we have, like, now, I have, like, an 8-core processor and 16 gigs of RAM. I don't have a problem compiling even large maps. What was like, but I can imagine it'd be longer for you guys. Painful. So, um, uh, when we were working on on Quake One, um, we had Next Step machines, yeah, which was yeah. Steve Jobs' uh, machines, Steve Jobs, yes, yes, yeah, which is which is you know, the there, there's still a lot of OSX, there's still a lot of Next Step in OSX, um, and uh, the and when in Quake One, you could you could drop polygons, polytopes, down quickly, okay? But if you wanted to change something, you had to select it, okay? And I will never remember, I will never forget how long it takes. It took six seconds mm -hmm. to render a scene in order for me to select something. So one Mississippi, two Mississippi, mm -hmm. three Mississippi. So, um, so let's say you put some steps down, step, 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 and you miss the top step, or you put some steps down and you just needed to shift the room over. Every time you wanted to select something, you had to render the scene, and it took six seconds. So in Quake 1, we didn't really do a lot of changing. Like, if you wanted to shift the room, you know, like, sometimes it, you, you build one room, and it's, like, eight pixels off of a room, like, way over there in the map, and then you change this room, which then affects the whole map to line up this room over here. We didn't do that shit in Quake One because it took it was so painfully slow. But when we would send it off to compile, we used a separate machine mm -hmm. uh, that was, you know, like at, at the time a multi-core machine, which was awesome. But Quake Two was was the big problem mm -hmm. because in Quake Two we had radiosity, and radiosity light bounced eight times. So um, if you made your map really complex the radiosity pass would kill the compiling time. And the company got in Sun Systems Origins 2000 computer. I think that's the name of it. Uh, it was this big, giant blue thing. It looked like the size of a refrigerator. And at the time, when we bought that machine, I believe that we were like one of the top 50 uh, companies in the world for compute power yeah. because we just needed to compile Quake two maps, and if you accidentally sent a map that was um, overly complex with too many bouncing lights, it could literally take you a day to to run BSPN. Isn't it fun how it's not 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 much different these days with Unreal? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> but but again, like when, whenever whenever we have a, like a gigantic level in light mass, of course, if you have a swarm server, that's much easier. But well, we're talking the same. If 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 a local guy at the studio with you know an eight or sixteen core computer has to compile a light mass in a very complex level with production level of, uh, of quality, it can take up towards eight to ten hours. So it's that part of it at, at least is still you know, a very very long process. What is yes, operation operation maps took forever. Yeah, you know that was recent. So uh, on, on our show all, all the time we have. Uh, guests that are you know modern day doom 2 mappers and they love this uh, like people like dragonfly people like matt tropiano and i'm curious from your perspective having done so much of it what do you see is we can talk specifically in doom or in a greater you know 
view of it, what do you see as what fundamentally makes a good single player map? You know, I actually have an answer to to this question that's evolved over the last. That's what I want to hear. Thousand years. The um, uh, you know, like good, um, like for multiplayer, it's always good flow. So, um, and then multiplayer, you have like your theme maps and your flow maps and your arena maps. In single player, um, you really want to know your objectives. Mm-hmm. You know, lots of times people give you the red key before they show you where the red door is. Um, you want to clearly see your objectives. You want to kind of build up the um, uh, the intensity and then, you know, end in kind of like a climax. Um, you want to have a couple of challenges, you know, like maybe three little map challenges or three kind of tougher, you know, uh, AI encounters. Um, so clear objectives, uh, unique and identifiable locations so you know where you're going. Um you know, something special about your map. Like if you think of, you know, Quake 1, you're like, oh, that's the map of the thing came out of the floor and it went into the wall and then the, the demon jumped out of the door. Um, you know, and then uh, and then some type of kind of build up that ends in this kind of rewarding finish. So uh, clear objectives, identifiable locations, good pacing, cool end. Okay. Did you think about any of these things when you were making maps for Quake and Quake 2? No, we were, were making, making this shit up. Yeah. No. We had no design. Yeah, seriously, there was there is not a single game design document that exists that that you know. And you know, some people talk about, well, you know, we have to put these items here and these items there, and this was really clever. It's like we thought we were making this shit up. We had no idea. We just throw it in, play it, make sure it was fun. We high five each other and, and be done. If anyone tells you that we had some great design and vision, it is is ridiculous. It's just wrong. We we are just running as fast as we can through the woods with our eyes closed, hoping we weren't going to hit a tree. Um, we tried to be clever along the way, uh, but uh, but but please don't buy that we had some genius plan. Yeah, so earlier you said that, you know, every game designer has like, you know, one out of ten ideas is a good one, maybe. And mm-hmm. we can actually now with our, you know, hindsight 2020 view, go back through the original Doom and Quake and everything, and we can see how there, there, you know, there's obviously there's some, uh, I don't know about this map. And then you get to the next map and it's like, holy shit, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. Uh, yes. many, many of those maps happen to be yours, but it's really, um, it's really interesting to see the way that you guys were kind of just throwing it at the wall and you still ended up with just some absolute diamonds in there. And I think that when, when modern mappers talk about this kind of stuff they like the legendary doom mappers the legendary quake mappers uh, you know your, your name's going to get brought up a lot in that and they refer to like this style map or this you know they mm-hmm. refer to a specific map from the original games and then elaborate on that idea down the line and that became like a an archetype you know like this is an archetype for a style of map that can carry over into basically any other first person shooter or any kind of level design and you guys are going to lay down that foundation i found it interesting that you said that came from you know dungeons dragons or like just a a little a teenager making you know basic architecture that pushed you into that direction so i want to talk a little bit about the length of some of these levels because you know do you feel that because you, you mentioned like what you think the process should be, but mm-hmm. how long should it take you to get to a goal or what what fundamental things 
stand between you and creating that like does it need to be a longer combat loop does it need to have a uh a, a routing or a finding do you, do you like searching around a map or would you prefer to just as you said have a straightforward this is your objective but I, I don't know I, th- I think it's funny how you have these different styles of it you have things like jazz jackrabbit doom which are just straight to the end all the way through and then you have things that are like you have to go find the key over here and then you walk all the way back mm. and then you you know keep exploring the same area over and over again uh, that's something that Fred, you guys are working on very, very well in Wrath, and I think it specifically comes from some of your maps. It seems like they've found this way to make you continue to use the same area over and over again while maintaining that same clear objective. I'm curious, like where where do you mm-hmm. see that? I'm sorry, that was a really long yeah, so, question. But. No, 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 no. It, the uh, it, it, at first, yeah, I thought you were going to ask about the length of the maps, and then I was going to make comments about maps for all. Let's talk about that too, uh, if you want to, if you have a point on it. You know, there probably is a science behind it. There probably there's probably some really smart guy that that wrote his PhD about how to design single player maps, and uh, uh, so there is probably science. But I'm telling you, we just brute forced it. Uh, if it felt right, you know, uh, and, and 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 it worked. Um, you know, we just kept trying it, and you play a map, and it, you know, that felt a little long. Yeah, I'll, I'll trim it. You know, you play it again, and you're like, oh, dude, that was way too easy. And then, well, we'll make it a little harder. Uh, but we just kept trying and trying and trying and trying um, until it, in, until we got it right. And remember, back then, one guy could make a map. Yeah, right. You know, and uh, now it takes like a whole team that's got a plan and stuff. And one guy's AI, and one guy just okay. lightning. That's ridiculous. But 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 back then it was just like raw mental effort to try to get something to that that felt right. Okay. Um, and then the first time you watch someone play a map, it's terrible. Your map is terrible. Right. You know, and then you make those changes and you watch them play it again. And then you watch them play it again. Also, a challenge that most map most mappers struggle with is finishing a map. Maps can are, are never done. So it does take a discipline to finish a map. Uh, so shipping a game is a great finisher for finishing a map. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, man, I wish I had something clever to say. Well, let me rephrase the but question. We, they, uh, Cause I, I think you're going on a tangent that I didn't necessarily intend and you can still go on if you want, but it was my, it's my fault. Trust me. Um, wrong answer, Tim. No, no, it's not the wrong answer. It's, it's, the, it, I don't think I made my point clear. You're, you're speaking from like the perspective of then. And I'm curious, like, what did you learn from then that you would apply to something now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and I kind of hit on these things like clear objective, identifiable locations, you know, pacing, you know, you know good balance, mm-hmm. weapon variety, item, you know, uh, um, you know, sometimes designers focus on one thing too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, um, you know, make sure maps are, um, uh, uh, you know, the not too long, you know, not not too repetitive. I think those are kind of the key things. And then some people just have a gift for it. Some people just are good mappers right. and you can learn techniques, but you know, finding, you know, the, you know, the, uh, the folks that are talented at creating maps really, you know, would, would, would help stand out. I think uh, Ty, it also kind of relates to which type of first person shooter. You mentioned a range of different types of games that do things in a different way, but, but, what those games have in common are that they're first-person shooters and pretty much everything else is kind of different. One game is an explorative type of game where you have to find all things and discover lore and so on. And another is like a run and gun 
game where you just have to get from one to another. Yeah. Um, but it's it's funny you mentioned that question because one of one of the games we're working on right now, we're we're in this Which dilemma one? where we have uh, <laughs> on an oh it's announced at this point engraven we have a, a lot of fantastic talented level designers and we're actually kind of struggling to to figure out how much should we as game designers okay. direct them. So what we've done is we've just created a basic uh, toolkit of. This is the story, if you level base story. You need to get this thing and give it to this guy. Uh, and this is the theme that takes place in this, this uh, world. And this is the length and difficulty. Go nuts. But then we let the level designers be themselves because we want to make sure that each level has the flavor of that level designer. That's why we got them on board to right. bring their <laughs> own personal flavor. So I think it's kind of in between. You know, you need to direct them enough that they, you know, difficulty has to be right. You have to pick up the correct weapons in, in the line and you have to follow the story, but everything else I feel should be up to the level design to get that personal flair. And I think that's yeah. what levels that Tim did. And that, that's why you, Ty, you can spot, oh, that's a Tim level, clearly, because yeah. you can feel the flavor of the different level designers in the different levels. Yeah. Yes. Tim yes. American McGee level, like, oh, yeah, I got fucked over. <laughs> <Can't>... Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yes. I, I can't remember who said it, but someone was like, uh, you should always feel like if you die or you lose, it was your fault and not the game's fault. And man, he he had another thing going on, a different philosophy. Except for American McGee. If you die, it's American McGee's fault. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the philosophy of his levels. That's but, fine. Nah, it is what it is. But uh, with that said, because Fred, I think you you like have some sort of telepathic communication with me. I wanted to know that as you transitioned into things like uh, Strife and Hexen, where it's not the same thing, you have a little bit more story going on, and then we can tie that into a lot of the stuff that you're working on now. The the way that level design has evolved so much, even in you know first person, not necessarily shooters, but games, um, where you your objectives are no longer like find the key, shoot the cyber demon, that kind of thing. It's like uh, we're we're telling a story here. How did you uh, tackle that, or how do you look at that now? You mean like. Um like the, the like the storytelling, like in Doom Three storytelling, or yeah, Doom Three is a perfect example. I, I was actually that was going to be my like when I said I'm going to tie it into something now. Like yeah, yeah, you you now because yeah, Doom Three is kind of uh, kind of fighting with itself. Like yeah. you have a very story driven linear game, but you also want it to feel like Doom. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You know that um, that definitely was a challenge because of the technology. I mean, remember when when we were making Doom Three, everything we were doing was new. Mm-hmm. You know, no game I had done. You know the uh, uh, the layers of the, you know the, the height map and the bump map and the specular and how they all work together in truly dynamic you know uh, uh, light you know for the world like every light was a dynamic light you know so um, uh, everything was definitely a challenge um, but the uh, uh, but we did try to tell more of a story mm-hmm. um, which which then you know the uh, uh, the polish that we did and it's fine tweaking that we did on that game was, was, was truly amazing. Um, I guess, you know, focusing on what's truly core to the experience of what you want to accomplish. Right. You know, do you want to tell a story? You know, do you want, you know, like, or, or is it all, it's strictly just puzzle based. Is it, is it, uh, uh, you know, is it fear and terror is, you know, you're trying to be funny in, in your level. So figure out exactly what you want to accomplish. Uh, you know, and focus on those things, um, you know, because sometimes design, you know, will wonder or, uh, or, you know, back and forth and not have clear focus. Um, so I think, you know, my advice to to designers nowadays is, you know, before you start a map, actually, before you start a map, sketch it out, mm-hmm. you know, just like take a, 
Uh, you know, and it doesn't have to be very detailed. Just take a blank piece of paper and say, start, fun area, you know, thing over here, thing over here, end. That's all you need to do. It just helps you get your mind around it and then it helps you focus on what's really important and think, what's what do I want to accomplish in my map? What is this map, you know, like, you know, like what's the feeling that I want to have in, in this map and then focus on that. Do you still have the urge yourself to to kind of dive in and, and get you your know, hands I, I do. It's just time, you know, and, and in the past when I've had an opportunity to work on on some maps, um, I always say to myself, man, I can map, map circles around these kids. Um, <laughs> but uh, yes, it's always fun. You know, like even even like on working on Rage 2 with the Avalanche team, it was fun at some time, you know, sit behind some of the, the designers when I was busy in the office and just kind of really work on these maps and like working with the team. There's there's this, you know, one of the games that we haven't announced yet is a first person shooter um, that has some pretty classic level design in it. And, um, you know, I'm, it's fun to sit down with the team and be like, this is what you want to focus on. You know, you know, here, this is working here. You know, you want to move this over here and this is why. So when I get a chance to do that, I, I really enjoy it. Let's get uh, Tim on the next 32 and 24. You can do it. It's one day. You just knock a map out. It'll be great. That's fine. You know, it's funny. I, was, I, I was on a plane with, with uh, Richard Gray, Level Lord, mm-hmm. going from Dallas to London. And, and uh, I joked with him. I said, we should make a map, you know, <laughs> and, and, and just an eight-hour flight. Oh, God. It's possible. I, I remember I talking see, like, with a uh, game d- uh, industry veteran map jam is what I want to see. For, like, see, that, that would yeah, be, be absolutely just, like, fantastic. like a five-level map pack with a bunch of different, uh, like, kind of like, yes. like a, a I less, less, I, less I expensive visual. So, um, uh, so DM six in Quake One. You know the map that looks like a toilet bowl. Oh man, it's funny. I'm we, actually reworking that for him. We, yes. I literally <laughs> so, just I, I'm looking this. at the geometry right now, and I'm like, oh man, I can't imagine what you guys yes. have to do back so, uh, to get uh, that to work. <laughs> the origin of that map is um, uh, Gabe Newell came down to id Software, and and he was. Starting his, the, you know, the, his new company, and he wanted to license the technology. And you know, him and John were friends, and they were talking. And John walks him in my office, and uh, come back, and uh, he says, uh, "Hey, can you show this guy how to make a map, and and like how the editor works?" And I'm like, "Okay, you know." And uh, it was like, "New map, all right, make a square." All right, well, I'll try to make like this, make a ring, you know, and so I kind of just put the basics down and it's just going to get some flow and he kind of watched me make, make a little bit of the map. And that was kind of the origin of the idea that turned into DM6. So, so it was a, it was a, it was a technology demo for, uh, uh, for, yeah. That is so annoying. That is my favorite map of all time, and you're just like, yeah, just it's a toilet. <laughs> it's one of the more popular maps on any of like the the free for all nights. Whenever mm-hmm. I played with the Quake guys locally, it just it seems that one just sucks everybody. Yeah, because it's, it's so simple. All it is is, is a figure eight. Yeah, but, yeah, it's but you know, it means I'm trying to design a map, yeah. but I'm like mirroring it, doing all these weird things, in it, and then I'm looking at your map, and it's like, oh crap. We're getting but that, that's how it is with most of the popular map. Like yeah. most of the popular, especially one v one maps, are something that was just a simple thing. Like I, you mentioned toilet seat. I remember uh, you guys remember micro machines for Sega Genesis. There was a toilet seat map, which was literally just a circle, Boomer. and that was it. Like that's one of the funniest maps in that yeah. game as well. Like, and and and, uh, and I was gonna put three layers. Yeah, but the uh, uh, but the, you get too expensive. Huh. Okay. So I so I had cut it off. 
So uh, we're getting the cart ahead of the horse. I want to ask one more question about single-player maps, and then I want to go down the multiplayer map rabbit hole. Again, don't want to get too into the weeds with it, but I do want to know about like the design portion of it. So did you did you see when John put out Sigil? Did you like look at that or see any feedback no. on it? Okay. No. <laughs> I was wondering. Yes, I, I, I bear things to do with my day than, yeah. uh, than, than play that. So my, my question was going to be, it, had you seen it, was you know when you say like i should do a map seeing how that was received do you feel like oh shit maybe i don't have the chops but i think you do i think you should make a map and i think you should put it no out. trust me frederick knows how busy i am i i have no time i you know it'd be great if i could just stop time and then focus on something but well, I no have a time i just machine right here tim we'll just hit it and you i would i will come and jump into that time machine uh no it would be great to do that yeah it would but um uh, but man, just we have so many games and so much stuff that we're doing, and things are moving so fast um, that uh, no, I mean, if uh, uh, I, I have hobbies that don't necessarily, uh, you know, involve making maps in my spare time. That's good. That, that, the, is, that is really, really smart. Though. Like that's one of the things I I learned when I entered adulthood with you know kids and wife and the whole thing was to get hobbies that are not necessarily related to games at all. Mm-hmm. Because um, you, you know previously your hobbies are related to games, and then everything becomes a big blur. And and now, funny enough, you know when I was a teenager, the last thing I wanted to do was to do a hike in the forest or you know go to the sea or something like that. And now that's you know something you're looking forward to. Yeah. So that, that's really really smart. So do you guys want to see what my quarantine hobby was? Yeah, of course. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Here comes the quick so, Here it comes. No, 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 no. <laughs> so uh, uh, so when I was a teenager. You know, remember I said I love, you know, Dungeons and Dragons. Well, I I would paint miniatures. Um, and, uh, uh, so uh, it so it's been like thirty five years, um, and I and I thought, well, I should paint. I, I should paint some miniatures. Uh, and what's so funny about when I was a kid painting miniatures and when I'm adult painting miniatures is totally different. Like when I was a kid, I needed a red, you know, and I had to like mix colors to get a different red. Now I just buy all the reds. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Like, brown buy them all so I, I bought imperial assault which is an older uh star wars game mm-hmm. it's like uh which, which actually goes back to the doom three board game the doom three board game by fantasy flight uh had such amazingly great rule set that that it eventually morphed into descent journeys into something and then they used for imperial assault which then they made the new doom board game with um so it's a it's it's board game. So I painted. I know that I'm an adult, but I painted Star Wars miniatures. Hold on, let me grab a few. Fred yeah, yeah, had yeah. the best business idea ever. Okay, Tim yes. and Chuck. Right, we have Chuck make the characters. Tim paints them. We sell. Oh them. my god! We yeah yeah yeah. That that will be fantastic. So I have uh, uh you know of course the the eight the eighty walkers. Oh, yeah. Wow. You know. Oh, yeah. I got I got these guys right here. I can't remember what their name. I got uh I got some I got some Imperial guards. You know, I got some little lizard guys. You know, you know I got all these little stormtroopers. I had to paint nine of these. Um, you know, man. man. And then like, the ones with the red base are 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 the leaders. Yeah. Uh, I think they. Uh, I even have. Uh, I have Luke before he's a Jedi, <laughs> and I have like you know, Vader, yeah. Darth Vader. So they, so that was my quarantine. So I painted thirty six of these guys. You know. Oh my uh, god. 
while stuck that's in. The, that's the best thing yeah. to do in quarantine is little projects like. All right, that. I'll ask the mother of all shit but, questions. But I had a big magnifying glass because I'm, my yeah. eyes are because I don't actually wear glasses, but I can't I can't see if I take my glasses off. So I have a big uh, big old man magnifying glass with a little light on it, which is which is funny. It's it's USB power, so I can stick it onto my monitor. Well, that's cool. But you, but you know what, Tim? I, I think this is this is kind of like destiny. You know, we we spoke with um, Chuck we had a podcast like this with Chuck Jones, who's currently working on Graven as a three D artist. He spent his quarantine time modeling and three D printing figurines for board games because mm-hmm. he wanted to make his own board games. Um, so yeah, we're thinking a team up could be uh, could be pretty cool here. You know, you know, Chuck Jones would make them, and I'll paint it up. <laughs> I just I'm telling you, man, take it to the bank, dude. Let's, yeah. That's the business. Forget all this video game shit, man. It's there's a lot of money right now, especially small groups. You know, less than six playing D and D. Oh yeah, mm, yeah. Uh, did you play the original Cyberpunk RPG? The original? No, I did not. But I but I do know about yes. Okay, you got to put your eyes on Witcher uh, a little bit with Saber uh, as you does, did the ports. And how do you see? Something like that. It will be two, two, three months, maybe a year and a half before they release it after we had this interview. But with a game like that, what do you see is like this kind of ties into what I was asking about Strife earlier. Um, the level design in that is totally different, and the enemy design is totally different. Um, the complexity. Like, yeah. Is there any upcoming game that's more complex than no. that? That's like breaking new grounds. As a creative director, how does your brain uh, interpret a project like that? Like, uh, like which project? Well, the Witcher project? Cyberpunk. Oh, Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk, yeah. He's never even heard of it, guys. <laughs> it's like, guys. what? what the, uh, it's uh, a CD Projekt Red's new game. Cyberpunk. Oh, that game. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, it's cool. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. I actually saw it. They, they, um, because um, we were working, you know, with them, you know, they, they made a comment about, you know, their, their first, because they have first person action in that mm-hmm. game. Um, and, uh, they're like, Oh, we'd love to get your input. And I was thinking myself, Oh, I'd, I'd love to help you guys. So in that game, there are, there's the hack way of getting through anything. Mm-hmm. And there's the combat way of getting through everything. And then there's the sweet talk. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You know, so, um, um, and, uh, uh, and, and, and the AI is pretty situational. Um, if I remember, I watched the demo twice because I wanted two jackets. I'm not sure. Like I would. I would approach it by working on the hack way first, then adding the AI and then making any adjustments to get through the, the, the third way to, you know, okay. to, to, to solve it. But, but I didn't see that, you know, obviously the AI is very complex and, um, um, and, and has to react to so many different things. Cause you can, you can start hacking something, then, you know, in, engage in combat, then the AI needs to react to, you know, to the change in the environment. Um, so, uh, uh, it's, it's definitely challenging and testing would be immensely difficult. Yeah. They, they must have an army plus another army just on testing that game. Uh, because you can, you can screw with it so much. Like, you know, our old games, you run in and you shoot some guys, you know, what can the AI do? Um, uh, but when you can get, when there's literally three ways to get through every single encounter in a game that big, that's just, I mean, it's just scary to think about yeah. how much planning and thought, uh, went, went into that. So, um, you know, those guys are definitely on a different level. That's why I was saying previously, it's probably one of the most, if not the most complex game made to date, just in terms of pure scope and fidelity and and complexity. Yes, it's going to be crazy. Yes, yes. I've I've seen the demo twice, and and both times they've played through it differently. 
Um, but I have not seen any insider information, but it is, it is pretty awesome. Tell Dylan Rogers to get his pen and pencil out for a uh, Gloomwood. That's the whole thing with that game too, is that you have the option to be stealthy or shoot or you know, make these different decisions. I like that your idea was to have, you know, one route set out and then try to figure out the next one after you've figured that out. Um, that's really, that's how, that's how I would approach it. I don't know if that's how they get it. Well, I mean, we're here to talk to you, you you and reflect on your particular version of genius. So with that, with that <laughs> that's said, how I would do it. Yes. Um, same question as earlier, different object of the uh, sentence. How how do you think that a uh, what are the fundamental things that make a multiplayer map playable to you? Or good yes, so multiplayer it? maps. There are um, they're kind of like three different types of multiplayer maps. Mm-hmm. There's the you know the flow multi- multiplayer map that's all about the flow. That's like DM six. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then you have your your location little base multiplayer and that's kind of like dm3 you got your little server room you got your little courtyard you know and so you're like oh i'm i'm, I'm in this room you know um and, and you fight differently in this room and then there's the theme based multiplayer where you have low gravity or you have acceleration pads or like some of the quake three maps where we have like you know the the vortex portal um so you first got to figure out which one you're making you know is it a all about flow is it all about um, theme, you know, or is it very location based? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you need to make sure that you balance your spawns, of course. Uh, so regardless of where you spawn, you're able to, again, this is very arena based, you know, I'm not talking like call of duty. We're style talking multiplayer. in our warehouse. We're all yeah, friends yeah. here. Um, yeah, and, uh, language, don't worry. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, uh, right. so you have your spawn. So you need to make sure you balance your spawn spots. Right. Um, you know, most times people don't put enough spawn spots. I, I'm I in the school of thought to put more in. Yeah. Um, and um, and then you need to make sure you just have your your power up balanced by your protection, armor, health, or what or whatever that is, and then your weapon. So um, so you keep those evenly spaced. You make sure your spawn spots are good. You make sure you don't have any crazy dead ends unless there's a really good thing at the end of a crazy dead end. Um, and then, uh, um, and, and then you start going from there, um, you know, make sure it's tight. Yeah. If you're timed to engagement, if you consciously want a short time to engagement, you know, make sure you, you know, the map flows back into, in, in, into the areas where you're most likely to engage. Um, you know, and then, um, and then don't try to design trick jumps. That's oh. yes. Yes. When people try to design trick jumps, shit never works. Uh, like in um, like in Quake to the Edge, yeah, uh, which uh, uh, which is one of my favorite maps. Uh, I design I tried to design like two trick jumps, and some guy once told me that there were like seventy two trick jumps in that map that 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 you could do. And I'm like, no, oh, I don't even try to make two. Um, so, uh, but if, if if you try to do like if you force in um, emergent gameplay in a map it's not going to work okay just let that let that play out let the game systems and mechanics deal with with emergent gameplay uh so uh yes quick to, to summarize pick out your theme balance your weapons and items get your spawn spots they're not bad and then figure out um you know your you know how fast you want to engage and then build to bring people to uh where they'll uh, they'll meet each other 
What are your two trick jumps that you tried to put in? It was the one to the to those boxes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, That's right. Yeah. You go up and then you can jump. And then up top, there's that rail over to the courtyard with the rail gun in the water down below. Mm-hmm. Um, jumping to that ledge. What's the other one? It's sad where I forget some of the maps that I made. Yeah. None of that's <laughs> and that. And that map was 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 inspired by ledges, which just some random guy made mm-hmm. uh, for Doom Two or Doom One yeah. as a mod map. Yes. No, it's interesting because yes. uh, one of the most insane trick drop maps that I can think of in terms of just like single player dual maps or you know PvP dual maps would be uh, DM Six and. It has these insane jumps where you can go from the floor near the teleporter up to the second story and all kinds of crazy shit in that map. And you had yeah, no intention of that. that. I like that approach, Zero. though. Zero. Yeah. It's really... Well, well actually, cliff rushes. So, like, I mean, in Quake 1, you can you can rocket jump into other rooms mm-hmm. because we had, cause, cause, cause rocket jumping hadn't even been invented yet until John Cash discovered it one afternoon. And... Um, uh, so that's why in Quake Two there's clip brushes and ceilings because we learned that you can just clip, you can rocket jump into other rooms in Quake One. Mm-hmm. So that's why you can rocket jump more in Quake One because we didn't design to prevent players from doing that. Interesting. Yeah, the, the only thing clever that I thought I did for DM Six was shooting the door to open it to get the lightning gun or the invisibility. Another Sorry. crazy uh, trick jump is that when you shoot the lightning gun to make the door lift up, and then you can rocket jump off of the lifted door to get to the second floor as well. Yeah, that, that that that's all that's all game mechanics. That's just the game being cool. I think it's amazing how you you've made this career of you know creating these little three D worlds that people can then do whatever the hell they want with and figure out and live their lives in it essentially. Uh, and take it, and take it way farther than I ever imagined. Yeah. In relation to this, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts, Tim, generally about where where the AAA Call of Duty type. Um, games are going in terms of level design because many of them have a completely different philosophy where you know you don't allow the player to explore and you don't allow the player to in sometimes you know break the geometry of the levels you 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 want to make sure they're on this completely strict path and you get all these scripted events because you want to see all the expensive stuff that these teams have made which is a com- you know completely different type of game than than what we're discussing here what are your thoughts in general about how you know, those levels are put together yes. in design philosophy. So those guys have made it a science. And we had some former, you know, Treyarch or Respawn or Infinity Ward, um, you know, guys at it that, you know, talked us through kind of how they built. And like, there's a book and they got rules and it is a science. They made, they take fun and made it a science. Um, you know, everything is, you know, avenues of approach and distance and what you can see and your how the FOV affects, you know, where your engagements are is, I, I mean, it's truly amazing how perfected they made that experience. And uh, um, so, I mean, you have to applaud that. They, mm-hmm. they, they took, you know, for us, we found the fun by brute force and just winging it. You know, they found the fun through science and hard work and, and genius. And it's just, um, but, uh, but yes, it is, it is truly amazing how, how um, uh, precise and those games are. And they're all fun. Like they're literally all fun. I've played like all 32 of them and I love them all. 
Yeah. Um, you know, it's a very uh, different kind of experience because it's more of a you know, it's more of a laid back experience in terms of you know you're you're, you're turning off your brain and now you're taking through this blockbuster movie of a game where you see how incredible everything can actually be made if you spend all the money on making a pretty <laughs> linear smarter experience. Yes, I mean they're also good, and, and, and even the, the the maps and the scenarios that you kind of guess are a little throwaway are so good. Um, yeah, you have to applaud those guys. Well, Tim, we're well beyond the agreed upon time, so I would just want to uh, say, like, uh, if anybody has any like last final questions before Tim has to get out of here, I do have a quick question, and this sure. one is for uh, somebody else I know that's designing maps. They know who they are, and they might be embarrassed. That's why I'm not going to mention them by name. They know who they are. They're probably smiling right now as they're listening to this. But anyways, um, they have a hard time, and I do too, with, like you mentioned before, with focus. Making Asking sure you, you know, start from the ground up. Just, you know, like, do you have any suggestions for streamlining, uh, how do I word this properly? Streamlining, like, say, for instance, with uh, Trench Broom, like, we're just designing quick maps. Do you have any, uh, crap. Let me find the wording for this. <laughs> I love how nervous you get. <laughs> Matt, yeah, just just watch Maps Brawl because map designers will make 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 something and they'll end up like here and they're like, oh shit, how do I get back to here? And then they have to yeah, build a bunch of stuff, you know. Because the, the problem so, is, I get to, okay, I think I have. How do you uh, prevent yourself from jumping, going into detail, and then wasting mm -hmm. time doing details and stuff instead of focusing on the overall map design? Cause I have a problem where I want to have everything in the map, then I want to test it out. Well, that's have the you, fun part. That's the detail. Yeah. yeah. So, like I said, and draw. I do draw it. Yeah. Draw it real quick. You know, be conscious of maps brawl. Um, don't worry too much about detailing it all out. Uh, but I'm the same way. I like the I'll over detail an area and then I'll make you know great boxes. My stuff. background is from uh, I took a bit of like it was funny when you were not necessarily ripping on the animators, but you were totally telling the truth the, the animators. I went to school they for love animation, animation, some prerequisite courses, but I did a lot of uh, layout design. So a lot of scenery and stuff like that. So when I saw level design come forth, I'm like, I'm just drawing in 3D, and it's the exact same concept. So blocking it out, getting all the shapes down. So like, it's it's been having that kind of background really helps. Like, do you have any also do you have any suggestions for people that don't have a strong background in like I guess layout design? Because a lot of layout design come, goes hand in hand with level design, if, especially if yeah, you know, just you know, just like, make something you're familiar with. You know, yeah. uh, and uh, and then put gameplay in it. Please don't make your school, <laughs> but make some other building that make some other building that you're familiar with, mm -hmm. or uh, some other area that that you feel comfortable in. And uh, school, just make sure it's like a nice little like physics simulator or something. Yes, don't, yes, don't, yes. Don't, don't you, yeah, we don't need. A yes, okay. But this, but uh, just uh, uh, you know, build a layout that you're familiar with that you're comfortable in. You know, and then constantly think about maps brawl, maps brawl, maps brawl. Mm -hmm. You know, be careful if you head way on here because then you have to get yourself all the way back here. Um, you know, and then uh, um, draw it out first and, and set a timeline for yourself. You know, give yourself three weeks to get it done. Or that, you know, that that, Internal uh, deadlines is a really good thing. Um, I also think, I do, as, as Tim mentioned, one of the main main challenges for mid-level designers is, is to actually finish their, their level. And I think a lot yeah. of that ties into the fact that many of them like to to detail early. Um, you know, with, with all of our maps, we have a, a very we have a very strict workflow or pipeline in terms of level design. You know, everyone, even those who are not familiar with it, they have to start by sketching up. Then they have to start by blocking out. They already script 
place ammo, place AI, and so on during the blogout before there's a single texture or any, you know, static mesh or anything at its level. And that's the phase that we're constantly iterating on. And for many level designers, that's not the fun part. Uh, well, for level designers, because that is the design, you know, all the pretty stuff afterwards. Is, it's the most disciplined part. But but then when that's done, when you have something that just feels extremely good and very tight and, and fun to play, then the fun part comes where you can add all the little leaves of grass and all the nice textures. And and it is, I think, discipline, yeah. first and foremost. I, I, like, I'm the same. Like, when I was mapping, I would like make a little room and then, okay, I want to add the lights and the particle effects and like all the things for that little room and then you don't get further. Well, it was a pleasure talking with you guys. I had a good time. Really appreciate yeah, it. Thank it you very pleasure is all ours, man. Thank you so much for joining us, Tim. It, uh, and thanks for, uh, for wanting to talk to, uh, to, to Ty and Hadoukand. They are huge fans and they grew up with your work and so did I. Uh, so I'm sure it was a it's a big moment in their careers to get to talk to you here. Cool. Cool. Well, I appreciate it. You guys have a good afternoon. Take care. Yeah, thank you very much. Absolutely. Take care, man. Talk to you later.